So hey guys, this is a really awesome podcast. I am here with Nancy Sosa, who has written a book called Tombstone, A Quick History by Nancy Sosa and Jim Nelson. Uh, the book can be found, it's uh, published by Blue Chicken Publishing, and the book can be found uh, by emailing Nancy at historyraiders at live.com. So H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, Raiders, R-A-I-D-E-R-S, at live.com, or you can get a hold of her on Facebook at her Facebook page called History Raider. What's nice about this podcast is we're actually sitting across from each other instead of uh, on a phone, so the quality is going to be great. And, and I got to tell you, the book is exceptional quality. It's, it's written like a hardback book, but it's in a soft book format, and the paper is fantastic. And the page, you should see the pictures on the inside. The pictures are insane and super clear. There's tons of photos about Tombstone. And I urge you guys, the book is what, 20 bucks? Is that what you said? Yes. 20 bucks. I mean, that is a heck of a deal to get pictures and get amazing stories about the town of Tombstone. So we have Nancy here. And Nancy is uh, the author or co-author of the book. And she is also a history nut not not good word history researcher. crazy Re history researcher i'm the nut she's the researcher so i listen to her stories and 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 when she says mike this is where you need to go then mike goes where she tells me to go um how are you welcome thank you i'm good thanks so you wrote a book about tombstone and you're not old to tombstone meaning you're not that i'm gonna go back you're not new to Tombstone because you're from Tombstone. Are you born in Tombstone or were you born someplace else and raised in Tombstone? I was born in the adjacent community at Sierra Vista, but I was raised in Tombstone. So you're, the hospital was in Sierra Vista yes. and then you were raised in Tombstone. Yes. And you spent your whole entire, mostly adult life, I mean childlike going up till when and then you moved away and went off to college and family and all that stuff came. Yeah, I left when I was 17, and then I came back when I was about 23. And then when you did that, was your love of Tombstone still there? Or was it, I'm just here, I'm growing up, and I want to get out and go see the world? Because Tombstone's a small place. Well, you can't live in Tombstone and not have some kind of affection for history. Right. And it was different when I was growing up in Tombstone than it is now. Right. So you were more personal with the history and you had more access to it and more access to people who knew a lot about it as opposed to now. Mm -hmm. And then somewhere along the line, you, you got a degree in history? I have a degree in history and a degree in archaeology. And then you began to really start researching Tombstone, or, or let me back up, what was your first thing when you got your degrees or, or your first project where you started researching? Was it Tombstone, or was it something in Cochise, or was it something like the Incas or something like that? Actually, I, I did the research before I had the degrees. Okay. Uh, I've, I've been a historical researcher for about 22 years now, and... Hold on, we're going to close this window because there's a fire truck going by. There you go. I've enjoyed 
researching people and places. I was, when I was nine years old, I knew I was going to be an archaeologist. That's all I wanted to be. And I wanted to work in historic preservation. So my first historic preservation project was between 2002 and 2004. I worked to have Ed Shefflin, who was the founder of Tombstone, his burial place annexed to Arizona State Parks. So you have the monument. <clears throat> if you guys don't know, the monument is on the far west side of town, mm -hmm. past Tombstone Monument Ranch. And it kind of sits out there by itself. And I think a lot of people, like for me, when I tell tombs people about Tombstone, like don't spend all your time in Tombstone because there's more to Tombstone than Tombstone. And even though Shefflin Memorial, is it Shefflin or Shefflin? Shefflin. Even though Shefflin, because I always say Shefflin. I get stuck on the E and the I thing. And so Shefflin Memorial is down there at the end, and people forget about it. They just don't see it. And well, it's, and most it's, people don't even know who he is because they focus so much on a 30-second gunfight. That, unfortunately, the movie Tombstone with Kurt Russell and Val Kimmer, great movie. It's very entertaining. Not historically accurate, but it is a good entertaining movie. They think that that's all there is to see. The movie itself is relatively accurate. Really? They cram a lot of information into a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. And they want to focus on one moment in time. But that's 30 seconds in a town that has over 130 years worth of history. Mm -hmm. And they miss out on that. So you you can't go to Tombstone and just spend one day and feel like everything is fulfilled. Mm -hmm. You have to go and you have to focus on maybe one part of history for one day. So go see all the gunfights. The next time you go down, go see all the museums. The next time you go visit, go on some of the tours. Mm -hmm. The next time you go visit, get out of the shopping district and go drive around town because there's a lot more to Tombstone than Allen a three-block radius. Right. Uh, the next time you go, go out to Shefflin Monument. And, you know, I encourage people to go and visit more than once mm -hmm. because you you can't get the feel for everything in one visit and most importantly, read. Well, I think that's the key. Like the first time that I went to Tombstone for me was in like 1969. And my mom and dad, we were like passing through. And we went and spent the day. And Tombstone in the 60s looks a lot different than it does now. But when I went to Tombstone about two or three years ago after moving to Arizona, I did what everybody else and I focused on Allen Street. And just woke up and thinking that that was it until I read a book about Tombstone. Um, and my mind, like, like opened up. I was like, holy crap, there's more here than just Allen Street. There's all of that back there. And what's, what's over there? And what are these houses doing over here? And what's that, you know, what's that building way over there? And then you find out there's a lot more to Tombstone than just Tombstone. Yes. So it, I think what you said is true about there's more to see. So if you can do it, 
But a lot of people don't have multiple days. They have one day. And I think that's where, like your book, and again, it's called Tombstone, A Quick History. And, and you can get it, you can get the book by uh, emailing historyraders at live.com and, and you'll go right to Nancy and she'll help you out. But if you can't make Tombstone four or five days or three or four days and you only have one day to get Allen Street, then the next thing to do is read. And that's where this book is perfect because it gives everything else out there that maybe we can't see. Right. So when you started researching about Tombstone, like what, how, what was your first thing? Like my, my mind is like a billion questions. So when you started researching it, how did you say, did you say to yourself, Nancy, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to clear up some myths. Or did you say, or you may not have said anything and you just may have told yourself, you know what? I've always wanted to do a book about Tombstone. No, not necessarily. I, I've done research on 42 books, so I'm usually the researcher for the other authors. I've also done documentaries and television and other programs. The book came about because my friend Jim Nelson, his wife and some friends had come to Tombstone to visit. And I was managing a bookstore. Hmm. And... In town? In Tombstone. Oh. And he picked up this bookmark and he says, do you know who this is? And I said, well, it's not Doc Holliday. And he started laughing. And he says, well, who is it? And I said, well, that's John Escapole. Right, John Escapole. One of the most, by accident, and sometimes intentionally, If am I wrong? That his picture is used... More is Doc Holliday than the real Doc Holliday because there was only two known, unless you're going to correct me, which is fine, two known photos. One, his dental school picture, and the other one in Prescott. And instead, they use John Escapool all the time. It's a misnomer. I, I tell people constantly there is a difference between a historian and a historical researcher. A historian's job is to tell you a story. Mm-hmm. That's what they need to do. A historical researcher is to tell you the story with facts. Mm. Not that a historian is a liar, but there is a big difference. Their job is to entertain you, mm. give you that story. That photo was misidentified by a historian, and it was a historical researcher who said, Hey, you're wrong. It's not our job to tell people they're wrong, it's our job. To give you the information, and then you can argue with the facts all you want. Mm-hmm. So, Jim laughed and introduced himself. They used to portray Doc Holliday in Glenwood Springs. And Jim had actually written a book on Glenwood Springs and a couple of other places in Colorado. And we had a great talk and a great laugh. I told him that I was a researcher, and I was actually doing research for another author at the time. And... Jim and his wife, lovely wife, Mary, they left. And a few weeks later, Jim walks back into the bookstore and he says, how about you write a book instead of just doing the research? Hmm. And I said, oh, okay. But it was going to be written the way I felt a book on Tombstone needed to be presented. I didn't want to put the gunfight in the book. Jim said, you have to. You can't have a book on Tombstone without mentioning the gunfight. And I said, fine, 
But we need to put everything else in there. Because we're a real place. And I I had lived in New York for just over a year. And people would say, where are you from? And I'd say, well, I'm, I'm from Tombstone. Oh, that's just a movie. No, it's a real place. My family's <coughs> been there over 130 years. It's, it's a real place. And that bothered me. That people thought we were just a movie. And so I said to Jim, we need to give them everything else. We need to talk about other people and other things that happen and other exciting events and things that people can walk around town and they can look at it and they can learn about it and they can know about it. And it'll be written in a way so that it's not boring because I'll be the first to tell you, historical researchers, we have a way of being a little on the nerdy side. Like and no a way. little bit boring. No way. <laughs> <laughs> Where a historian's going to be real exciting and tell you, you know, it was a dark and stormy night and guns were blazing. And I said to Jim, we, we can't be that way. So we came up with a quick history. And not only did we speak about the gunfight, but we spoke about the Indians in the area. We spoke about other incidences at place, the cemetery, the swimming pool, and some of the um, notable people, men and women, that were in town, the buildings, and a little bit of, of other history. And just a, a mismatch of information. And most importantly, we showed pictures of the way things used to look like. Because when you go to Tombstone now... It's different. It's different. And... Regardless of of what people will say, oh, Tombstone's dying, there's nothing there. My uncles and my cousins used to tell me when there was no OK Corral, when it was a trailer park, people still came to Tombstone. They will come to Tombstone. They will always come to Tombstone. They will. It's what you do with them when they get there. So that's what we tried to portray with the book. So when you wrote the book... Well, when you researched it, you and Jim. I did all the research. <clears throat> okay. So when Nancy took and did the research. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jim. Jim did quite a bit. He okay. did he did he did quite a bit, but I, I did the majority of the research. So when you did the research for it, you were doing it from a perspective of someone who's been there and remembers Tombstone now or then, remembers it now, obviously, because you still see it. But you had an insight that most researchers don't have, and that is you knew the people, you knew all the little neighborhoods, because there's a lot of little neighborhoods, and there's a lot of little streets that intersect and go around Tombstone, whether you're on the east side or, and correct me, which I know, not correct me, but enlighten me, and you have the mining district side, and then you have like the ranch side with the open land, and you, you saw all of that. And you said, I I can't write a typical book, which is the gunfight at the OK Corral, which that whole term, correct, wasn't really true. It wasn't really the gunfight. Some people have said the incident of Fremont Street, because it really happened on Fremont Street, not inside a corral. Right. But you wrote the book from an insider's perspective, I think gives more insight than somebody writing a book who doesn't live there. 
Well, did that help you though part, when you were no, writing it? Part like, of it. What I did was I had an advantage. I was managing a bookstore. My job is to sell books. So whether they were right for, or wrong, for six your months, job was to sell books. Exactly. Okay. For six months, I asked people if you could have one book. What do you want in the book? So this came from asking people if they could buy one book on Tombstone, what do they want in the book? Mm-hmm. And that's how I wrote the book. Like so I said, what did they say to you though? Were they saying I want the truth, or I don't want the Hollywood hype that Val Kilmer, I'll be your Huckleberry, you know, all of that? Did they did they say to you, I want the truth? They do because. At the time, the majority of the people had already seen the movie. Both movies, of course, because Kevin Costner did a movie as well. Why but you look at that bookshelf. Right. And, and just so you those know, are she's, big books. she's describing, just seeing her bookshelf, is one. it's actually three bookshelves together, but they are cram-packed. Now, I'm 6'4", and the bookshelf with the books on top are taller than I am. And that's not like one or two books. I want to say there's... Hundreds of books in here that and researchers and maps and I mean she's got it all. Like if you were a tombstone nut like I am or slowly becoming one, it's um like I could uh, I could bring my suitcase and camp out in your office and I'll check back in a month and slide a pizza under the door. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there's a whole other room with a whole other set of books. Uh oh, I, I probably see that room. have about twenty five hundred books oh, in my wow. collection. So but when you you, you see, started it though, you do you use these? As your research, or did you say, I'm not going to use someone else's information, I'm going to go right to the county, or I'm going to go right to the sources of Right, so I use them as a starting point. Gotcha. Because it's not my job to rewrite what somebody has already written. Hmm. It's my job to go and do the research and give to you information that you haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. And... The problem with a lot of these books is they're pretty good-sized books. There's a couple of them that are two, even three times thicker than mine, and the print is so tiny. Mm-hmm. And I would tell people, if, if you want to know, this is the book. It's going to tell you everything you ever wanted to know about the gunfight. But then this book will, too, because it's a different perspective. It's not from the gunfight side, I it's would assume. It's from the author's opinion, which is great, which is amazing. That's what books are supposed to do. Right. But they're say, not supposed to skew you, though. They're not supposed to take your whatever it is that's in your head about, for example, the gunfight and turn it into the gunfight at the OK Corral and then turn it into a hatred of the people that were there or people were innocent. Exactly. And, so, and oh, my God, like you wrote the book from these are the historical facts form your own opinion. Correct. So Jim wrote the book on the gun. The the chapter on the gunfight. Okay. Because people who know me and know me well know that I refuse to do research on the Earps and the Cowboys. and. Okay. There's too many hands in the pot. Right. It's not because it's beneath me. It's not because it doesn't interest me. And reluctantly, I have been involved in a couple of things. But I did suggest to Jim that the way we do it is we do it from both sides. So we had the newspaper information from the epitaph and the nugget. One was for and one was against. Right. And I said, we need to just present the facts as they are and not pick a side. 
And we were actually the first ones to do that, the first ones to really come in from that. And it's just a short chapter, but it's enough that it makes people want to know more. And then you can go and you can make your collection on mm-hmm. all the different books on the gunfight. I have them. I have a whole shelf that's nothing but Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday and the mm-hmm. Cowboys. And and those books are a starting point of where I needed to go to find the information. Mm-hmm. Then I went to the newspapers. I went to the Cochise County Recorder's office. I went to the tax assessor's office. I went to the archives. Arizona Historical Society, University of Arizona. Hmm. And I got all the information that we needed. So as an author, researcher, you put the notes together. Because there is such a thing as Urbania. Yes. Um, and those are people that put White Earp on a golden pedestal, I think. You know, there's lots of people that I've spoken to over the last few years that don't know that Earp was a pimp or didn't know that he was a man of his times. And whether you think a man of his times is somebody who, you know, Earp can do no wrong. Well, he did things that were wrong, but he survived during those times. And the same thing with Doc Holliday because people talked about him or Virgil Earp or whatever. For me, I'm a places thing. I like to read about places. And so it's hard to find books about places. And that's exactly what your book is about, which is places. Yes, they show up in your book because they're an important part of the development of that place, but you didn't focus on it. For example, um, for those that are listening to this podcast, she mentioned, Nancy mentioned to me, what, like three months ago, I think we were in Tombstone, two months ago, October. Two months ago, yeah. So two months ago, she goes, oh, you know, there's a swimming pool. Now, in my head, I had no idea there was a swimming pool. And I had already been to Tombstone 20 plus times. Like I had even, I fell in love with Tombstone so much, I went out and bought an acre of land in Tombstone. I'm on, I'm in the city boundaries of Tombstone. I'm not in the Shefflin Desert, but I'm in the city boundaries. And still had no idea that there was a pool. And then she goes, oh, yeah, it's at the end of 5th Street. Street. And I went to the end of 5th Street, and holy crap, there's a pool sitting there. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, I didn't even know. I think that is fascinating. That's what your book covers, is the stuff that people don't know in Tombstone. We know that there's the OK Corral. We know that it happened on Fremont Street. We know that Morgan was shot in the back at Campbell and Hatch's billiards. We know that, you know, the birdcage or whatever. We know that already. Your book ex- ex- exposes, maybe? Expounds. Expounds on places we don't know about. Right. And I think that is huge because it gives us a chance to read about tombstone history. And then, like you said, I want to know more. Like, this could be the gateway to broadening your horizon and saying, I want to know more. Right. That was the that was the idea, was to get people and encourage people to look for more. So you have a book. It talks about Tombstone. What are some of the cool things in your research that you found out about Tombstone that you might not have known already or may have known about but say, oh my gosh, I didn't know about this little 
side piece over here or I knew there was a pool, but I didn't know this about the pool. Or was there anything? Well, as with any type of research work, you take what you know and you expand on it. So that that happened with, with all the chapters. So every chapter in the book... I learned more about... More about it. Yeah. And I learned more about the people. So you look at a chapter and I probably have... A three-inch or a four-inch binder for each chapter. Well, we couldn't. The, the book would have read like Roots. And exactly. And it would have been 800 pages. And, right. You know, almost like the White Earp anthology would have been huge. Yeah. Because of, of time, what would be a cool... What did you write about in the, in the book? And again, if you guys want to know about the book, you can get a hold of me. Uh, you you get through the through this if you need to get a hold of me really easy. But I urge you instead to get a hold of Nancy and about her book at historyraidersatlive.com. The book sells for 20 bucks. It's a phenomenal book. You guys, I'm telling you, I don't, there's a lot of books that I read. And there's a lot of them. And you know, and you've kind of helped me out with some of the books. And there's some books that I've read where like, holy crap, this is a piece of crap. This book is not a piece of crap. And this book is fantastic. When you guys see the pictures, like the, the 20 bucks, it's 20 bucks. The 20 bucks for the pictures alone, I've not seen anywhere else but in this book. Is there is there something about or inside this book that you could share that would you was funny or was the reader would be like, holy crap, I never knew? <laughs> well, we're very cosmopolitan in Tombstone. We had a lot more than people think. So a swimming pool was kind of... Uh, a luxury. It was a luxury. But it what was, about the food? Well, we because had a lot people, of restaurants. Well, I people don't, think uh, that they always eat bean, bean, pork and beans like, <laughs> and that they're sitting on a chuck wagon. And then I just recently learned they had fresh food, fruit, lobster. Yeah. You know, what did they have? What did they eat in Tombstone? Anything they wanted. Anything they could get their hands on. Anything that could come in on that train into Benson or Fairbank or Charleston. Was the train a daily run? Were they in and out of Tombstone? They would but stop Tombstone at Fairbank. Tombstone didn't have a train until 1903. Right, but I mean, they would come to Fairbank. They'd come to Fairbank and Charleston. And Charleston. And then they would run wagons back and forth between the two train stops or yes. depots or Yes, even rail. Benson, yes. Yeah. And those ran daily. Daily. So yeah. back and forth, the steam train's running down the tracks. He's stopping at Condention. Or is it just running straight through to Tombstone? No, it goes from Benson to Contention to Fairbank to Charleston. Okay. And so there was that was running daily. And so there was fresh food, f fresh, I can't even say the word, fresh food. There was seafood, newspapers, I think magazines. Well, Tombstone had at one point as many as six different newspapers. It wasn't just the Epitaph and the Nugget. But you had papers coming in from New York and around the world. I'm sure you did. Because you had several newspaper depots in town. You had, uh, I think there was three of them. Three, wow. And then I was really blown away by the food. Like, you could really get amazing food in town, even though it's a mining town. It was very cosmopolitan, the well, food. They wanted to make Tombstone the place to be. You pulled more silver out in one day than some places pulled out gold. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't have just silver. We had gold as well. 
zinc, tin, manganese. Um, it's, it's more than just the area you see today between 1st Street and 6th Street. Mm-hmm. It's more than the area between Fremont and Tufnet. It actually, the business district went from 1st Street to 10th Street. Mm-hmm. And it was Tufnet over to Safford. So, it, and you had huge buildings. Shefflin Hall is, is second. It was originally first, the largest adobe building in the territory. Then they built one in Tucson and it kind of surpassed us. Um, Maricopa County liked our courthouse so much that they had Frank Walker build an exact replica for their Maricopa County courthouse. Mm. So we had a sister courthouse until Maricopa County tore theirs down. Mm. Frank Walker built the courthouse and city hall. And if you ever get an opportunity to go in and look at the two staircases, the staircase in city hall is a miniature of the staircase in the courthouse. Frank Walker was an incredible architect and builder. He used Chinese bricklayers to build both buildings. Mm. Um, We didn't necessarily have a hop town. So there was just a high concentration of Chinese people that lived in one particular area, which was near 3rd Street. But they lived all over town. They Mm. lived everywhere. And they had businesses all over town. Mm. We did have a red light district. But it was past 6th Street going east. Mm -hmm. About where the high school sits now, the Mm -hmm. old high school. Mm -hmm. That was the red light district. Um, There were places that are named as brothels and whorehouses that weren't. So you have to do a little bit of reading and a little bit of research on that. Mm -hmm. We had several different theaters for entertainment. You had opera, you had plays, you had poetry readings, you had four-story hotels, Hmm. you had restaurants beneath the hotels. The one beneath the Grand Hotel, which is presently where Big Nose Kate's is, was called the Grotto. You had... Now, I'm going to ask, because I didn't know, so if you go into Big Nose Kate's now... You can kind of go into the grotto. Yes. Is that's all that's left? Or is there something behind the walls in their basement that's bigger? Or is the space that's there now? Because if you guys get a chance, go to Big Nose Kate. Um, I think it's uh, the, the guy that owns a Goldstein mm-hmm. that owns it. A nice man. I don't know him personally, but he's very nice to me when I see him. But you can go and have lunch and food, but there's a hole in the middle of the restaurant. And you go down this spiral staircase to the grotto, or to the, and they sell shirts in there. Is that all that's left of the grotto? Well, you have to remember that when, when the second fire happened in 1882, they just filled the basements in with debris. Oh. So that they could rebuild. Gotcha. So, there's a few structures in town that had basements initially, or had basement Mm-hmm. franchises or stores or whatever you want to call them that got filled in with the debris. So and then they built off. on top of it. Yeah, they're sealed So, off. you'd have to dig it all out. Right. But I'm sure 
there's more to it. We know we know the information and what the buildings look like from the Sanborn fire insurance maps. Hmm. So we know what the buildings were made out of. Mm-hmm. We know who had tin roofs. We know what the original structure of the building was. All you have to do is get the information off the Sanborn fire insurance map. Um, there's also very detailed descriptions of the buildings when they were building them in mm-hmm. the epitaph and the nugget. Um, there's other newspapers, the Evening Gossip, and they gave very detailed information because you couldn't put a picture in the newspaper like you can now. Right. So you had to have that mind's eye detail. Which is true about the newspapers and the communication because the communication was different than we do now. The epitaph didn't have, or depitaph, didn't have... The ability, like you said, to snap a photo and just stick it the same day. So you really had to be descriptive in your wording to paint a picture to the reader. Right. You had the Arizona Illustrated, which had... So you'd take a picture. So you'd have a real picture. That's why we have them. Mm -hmm. But in order to get them in the magazines and the newspapers, you had to make an engraving. Mm. Well, we've come to find out from doing the research on the picture and the engraving is... They either took away or added to the engraving to make it look better. Mm. Perfect example, there's a picture of the Occidental Hotel, which was on the corner of 4th and Allen. They have a, the picture is just the picture of the building with a few people standing there. But on the engraving, you have a stagecoach coming by, you have a little boy running holding a newspaper, you have a dog. Mm -hmm. So they added to it to create more ambiance. And when you look at the picture and you look at the engraving, you can see the two differences. But if you only have the picture mm-hmm. or you only have the engraving, then you only get one impression. Right. So one of the great, because you can't always get the pictures. I've spent 20 years collecting pictures. and But I finally got a copy of the Arizona Illustrated. So I can look at those all I want. Mm. And... There's a difference. There's not a lot of pictures of the interiors. You have to really go and look. There's a lot of interior pictures, but unless you do the research and the picture itself says something, you don't know what building that Mm. is. So it all comes down to presenting the correct facts because there was so much more that we could have put in the book. But I believe in threes. I have to have three concrete, can't break it, To show that that's exactly what that is. If not, then I won't use it and I won't say it. Which is kind of back to the Escapool photo when we talked about. Because people want to believe that the Escapool photo is Doc Holliday. So much so that they'll they'll put it out there. Now, we have... You you know John Bosnecker way better than I do. I've only spoken to John. You, You know him personally. But he spends a lot of his time debunking photos on Pinterest or on the internet because photos are out there. And then before you know it, somebody says that's doc or that's Virgil or that's town or that's whatever it is. And it's not, it's a lie. Here's a problem with the internet. You can put whatever you want on there and make it fat. What people need to realize when they read something on the internet, it's just like reading fiction. Gotcha. 
I can put a picture up there and tell you whatever I want to right. tell you and about that picture. It. I can Photoshop a picture. I can alter it. Photoshopping has, has become so... Commonplace. Um, well, commonplace, I but think. it's so much better than it was in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. You can't see the seams and the lines and the changes anymore. Right. Because the process has become so good. However, like with all the great arts and paintings that I studied, mm-hmm. there's always another layer. There's always something else underneath. Question everything. Well, for example, there's a photo recently, a couple of days ago, um, a guy posted a photo to a Western group, and there's a lot of them on Facebook, a Western group of Wyatt Earp from Dodge City that's got photoshopped on there a white badge on his lapel. Now, that white badge was not truthful. It was not on the original print, and yet now it's working its way out onto the Internet that that photo of Wyatt Earp with his, you know, his buddies and Dodge City and all of them together, and there he is with this white badge. And that's a fake. What's horrible is, and I'm very vocal about this, there's a museum at Glenwood Springs where the hotel used to be and it burned down where Doc died because Doc, they think Doc died in the sanitarium, which wasn't true. And they actually sell T-shirts of John Escapul's photo on it. And when we question them, like, that's not even John. Oh, nobody cares. Everybody thinks of Doc anyways. And therein lies the problem. Right. But your book is sourced right from the facts and it gives people who are really interested about history and tombstone not so much the players but tombstone your book gives them that historical fact that i've researched it nancy's put her name on it these are the actual photos these are the actual stories and it's not made up or doesn't fit a a hollywood you know money-making scheme. Hollywood's job is to entertain you. True. A historian's job is to perpetuate the story, the myth, the legend. A historical researcher's job is to present you all the facts. Mm -hmm. And if I'm wrong, I'll be the first person, you know, to say I'm wrong. But if you want to come at me and say that I'm wrong, prove it. You have the facts. Because... Those bookshelves don't lie. That mm. that whole shelf of research work doesn't lie. Mm. I can tell you exactly where I found everything, how I found it, even show you the receipts on how I paid for it. But you won't be arguing with me. You'll well, be arguing with... Facts. The facts. Right. And facts don't lie. Right. You can You can stretch the facts, but it still has a base of the truth. Right. You... We have 12 minutes, so we're going to talk about Drew's Station a little bit. Okay. You research Drew's Station. You you used the maps. You pinpointed yourself down to where you know the approximate area until you actually got out and saw it and went, oh my God, my X amount of time of researching it came down to I'm standing at Drew Station, or, or those are the walls, and that's the floor, and that's of Drew Station. Those are based on facts. And yet, people, other people have said <coughs> that this is Drew Station based upon theories, not facts. 
So when you look, when you found, wait, when you found Drew's station, well, actually, let me go back. What was the process for the listener to finding Drew's station? And for those that don't know, I really urge you to read about, is it in your book? No. Drew's station? But I it's urge you to read about Drew's station. It's and on my, on it's my on Facebook It's on your Facebook page of History Readers. You want to read about Drew's station because it involves Bob Paul. It involves Bud Philpott. It's a significant part of history, what happened in Tombstone. And a man was shot and killed. And, you know, Bob Paul made his famous statement of, you know, I don't hold for anybody. And, you know, blew right on by where he met the Cowboys, which was hundreds of yards away from Drew Station. It wasn't right next door. You're, how did you go about the research of that? Well, first, I was tricked into doing that. Oh, you were? I, if I had known that Drew Station was in any way affiliated with the whole OK Corral gunfight, Earps Cowboys thing, I would have mm-hmm. never done it. Because, again, there's too many hands in the pot. Right, and that's you. what creates all the arguments. Right. So, the day I was asked, I said, sure, it's, it's an archaeological site. Sure, I'll find it. I had literally had no idea what it was. Two days later, I called that person back and I said, you know, I really hate you. Oh, no. But I'm going to do it anyway. hmm So, 17 days after I was asked to find it, I found it on paper. Because finding something on paper is not that hard. Finding something in the middle of the wilderness is time-consuming and mentally taxing. Mm-hmm. So, with any archaeological site, I went before the event took place because when an event happens every single person is going to give their impression of what happened where it was how far apart they were standing where the building was what it looked like Mm -hmm. what you were doing but if you go to find a site before the event took place what do they have to lie about nothing so in my case for drew station uh, Saul and Alice, who was a remarkable surveyor of his time, had done a survey for the Arizona and New Mexico Railroad 15 days plus before the event took place. Hmm. As luck would have it, he actually surveyed where Drew's house was. By accident? Or was it just he was plotting out areas along the river? What I came to find in the survey notes and the map was that if there was a prominent structure or a prominent location or something that people could identify with, mm-hmm. everybody stopped at Drew Station. Then it was going to be on Saul and Alice's field notes. He used it as a waypoint on that survey. So it started at Baba Kamari Creek where the Baba Kamari comes into the San Pedro. That's how you Bank. say that? Baba Kamari? Baba I always end up saying Baba Baba Kumari or... So, Baba Kumari. Okay. <laughs> Baba Kumari Creek comes into the San Pedro. That's where he starts it. Hmm. Uh, my the beautiful bridges right there. There's a, there's a rail trestle there that's gorgeous. My co-founder and I, John West, mm-hmm. that's where we started. And we found each of the locations, including Terranate, the Indian site, right. which was a presidio, a Spanish presidio. Contention. What a lot of people don't realize is contention is on both sides of the river. You have old contention and new contention. So if I'm facing north, and I'm standing on the rail bed. Which railroad? Ah. So, 
I took Solanella's oh. Arizona and New Mexico. So she got me. Now you're going to make me go home and read now, and then she's going to give me a homework assignment. Now, by the end of next week, I want to know which, which rail bed. So, first we had to find he the narrow gauge. The Arizona and New Mexico is the only one down there that's a narrow gauge. The other three railroads are standard gauge. And that's the one that goes to Benson, and the narrow gauge goes... All of them went to Benson. Yeah, but I thought some of them switched over, didn't they? No, all of them went to Benson. You just have to be on the right track in order to find. So, that's what some um, analysis survey notes gotcha. are for. So, the most important part of that research project was cell analysis field notes. Then I went and got every map and every survey and every set of field notes that I could for that Spanish land grant, mm. which is the San Juan de las Boquillas land grant. And researched it out. Only two of them had Drew's property on it, but all of them were sectioned. So we knew that Drew's property was in section nine. Right. So I had to find the corners of section nine. Mm. Did you physically go out and yes. lay them out? It took six months to find the site. Because it's not, it, in case you, the listener is wondering, and correct me if I'm wrong, the site sometimes could be only four feet tall, and you're standing in the middle of trees and shrubs that are 20 feet tall, and this, right? Well, we and didn't the, know what was going to be left. All no, but I mean, there the, you could overlook something really easily. Like, you could have been, you could have walked right on by an adobe... Right. Something. But when you stay on the narrow gauge line, mm -hmm. it takes you right to it. Oh. And the road is right there as well. So once I used that, there was a school district down there, San Pedro School District. Mm -hmm. I got the parameters of San Pedro School District from the Cochise County Board of Supervisor Archives. Oh. I got the tax information from both Pima County and Cochise County because when Drew got his homestead on the San Pedro, we were Pima County. He died in 1879. So... Before the formation of Cochise. Right, which was in February of 1881. So then I got information from 1881 because what a lot of people didn't realize oh. was all of the roads in Cochise County had to be surveyed and mapped, including the road that went past Drew's house. Why is that? House, because they had to map all the roads that were in the county. Oh, gotcha. When they created the county. Oh, okay. So I went and I got that map. And got all that information and found Drew's property that way. Drew was appointed postmaster at Drew's station in San Pedro. So, so I went and got that information from mm -hmm. Postmaster General Archives. <clears throat> then I went and got his homestead records. Because he was one of the first homesteaders on the San Pedro. He homesteaded in 77, 78. So I had that information. And in that were the acreage points of where his land was. Then there was a lawsuit between him and his neighbor, Robert Mason. Mason had shot at Drew, and Drew hit him with a shovel. <laughs> In the lawsuit... I saw you had a picture of a shovel. That could have been the very shovel. Yeah, no, too far away. <laughs> so, in the lawsuit, Drew made a map of all the property owners and where the ditch was, because right. they were fighting over a ditch. And... He said when he homesteaded, how long he'd been there, what was on his property, everything. It was a complete property description. Mm. All of that together, there's about a dozen different factual references before the event took place. 
that I used to find Drew's house. John and I, on a hot summer July day... Oh my gosh. Worst walked time right ever. up. Mm-hmm. Walked, first we walked into Drew's orchard, which there are remnants of the orchard left. Mm-hmm. Then we walked over and walked right up to his house. We knew the distance between the house and the station. We walked over to the station. Then we went and found the road. And then we found the, the range distance for the road based on solid analysis. And that road was the one that Bud Philpott and Bob Peter Paul Peter Warrig were, were killed on and Bob Paul rode mm-hmm. the stage away. And Peter was the guy on the back, on the upper level on of the stage. On the upper level camp. of stage. So did, when you got all these maps together, like if you laid them side by side, was Drew's station in his home the same on all of them? Yes. So they had all plotted them. So you didn't have one guy making something up going, oh yeah, his house is way over there. You had four individual maps by four individual entities and people that said this is where it's at. Not not like a big arrow going, Drew's station is here. But it was part of their, their they were doing their job. It was their job. Their, to survey. And they all said the same thing. Here's Drew's station. Here's Drew's home. Here's Drew's orchard. There's the wash. Here's the road. Yes. And all four of them were different people. Yes. That's fact. And then that's, I went But that's after, proving a fact. Then I went after the incident took place. And I started researching what everybody said after the incident took place. But some of those were in. But the, some of those were wrong though, right? Or no, they were different. No. The most accurate account came from Bob Paul himself. And it was later that people rely heavily on Cora Drew. She was about six or seven years old when the event took place, giving mm-hmm. her memoirs when she's 80. Right. You can't rely on something like that. No. You know, I'm, I'm going to be 46, and I don't remember what I was doing when I was six years old. Mm-hmm. And let alone, why are you up between 11 and 1 in the morning? Mm-hmm. You know? Right. That, there's, that doesn't make any sense. Time. So... I relied more on before the event took place than anything, and that's how I located the site with John. So when you, let me ask you something. When you spend all this time researching it, and then you find it, was it one of those champagne moments where the, you know, the guy comes out and says, you found Drew's place. What are you going to do now? Nancy's like, I'm going to Disneyland. Now, the first thing I did was... Bob Palmquist, who is my best friend, mm-hmm. he knows more about the herbs and the OK Corral in his little finger than I know in my whole body. Wow. He has been researching it longer than I've been alive. Mm-hmm. He is the first person I called. Mm-hmm. And, and I said? said, guess where I'm sitting? And Bob laughed. He has this great laugh, by mm-hmm. the way. And he says, you found it. I said, I'm, I'm sitting in Drew Station. Had he, he had never seen it? He had been there when it was Glenn Boyer's site, but not But site. not the correct it site. Was, it was what Glenn Boyer thought it looked like, mm-hmm. which he was way off. He was like a mile and a half way off. But what, So what was he sitting at? <clears throat> Glenn Boyer had to have been sitting He's at He's sitting some... in a wash. Right. With no remains. Nothing yeah, nothing there. And <clears throat> I said to Bob, yeah, I'm here. We found it. it John and I are sitting... Right here, and all, all four maps, 
all said the same thing. You found it based every, on all four Every piece of information I had, including the station points, the agreements, the legal agreements, the legal descriptions, township reigns and section, everything. Wow. Pointed to... That spot. Where we were sitting. So and it, and that... So now every time I go out cry? there... No. What? Now oh my God, t- I want to cry. <laughs> now every time I go out there and I sit down, I sit in the middle of Drew's house and I say, Hi, Drew. I sit down in the middle of the house and I have lunch. And... I remember that day that we found it, and and then all the arguments started. But that's a different story. But that's a different story. But and <laughs> well, I mean, arguments are one thing; finger pointing is another; calling people whatever is another thing. And I get that. I get that there's argument. There's I do air conditioning for a living. And somebody will say, this is the best process. And before you know it, you've got 30 people arguing about a process going, you're full of crap. So I think it's just, for me, it's, it's fact. I, or, they, or like what John uses on pictures, there's, you've proven providence. Right. You know, you've proven without a shadow of a doubt, this is where it's at. And even though it's not spoken about in the book, will it show up in a book one day? Yes, I'm actually working, oh, you're on, working that, on that, that oh. book right now. And we'll come back and do a podcast about that book. Of course. So the book that we're talking about today is called Tombstone, A Quick History by Nancy Sosa and Jim Nelson. You can find it at Blue Chicken, by Blue Chicken uh, Publishing. The book itself, you, if you need to get a hold of Nancy, you can do so through History Raiders History Raiders at live.com or her Facebook page, uh, History Raiders. And so between the two of them, you get a hold of Nancy. Uh, again, the book is is beautiful. The pages, and, and for the older folks like me, the, the lettering is very bold and it's bigger lettering than normal. Um, so you'll have an easy time reading it. But if you really, really want to learn about Tombstone, not so much the OK Corral, or, oh, if you're looking for a book about the Earps, there's plenty of those. Uh, Roy Young is involved with the White Earp Anthology, and, and it's a phenomenal book. I urge you to get that one. Or John Bosnecker's got his new one out about the Earps called Ride the Wild Herd, another fantastic book. But about Tombstone, just Tombstone itself, this would be the book for you guys, you men and women that want to learn about the town of Tombstone itself. Is there, you got just a few minutes. Is there, um, you talked about Scheifele, the the front of the book has uh, Ed Scheifele's monument. And I call it Scheifele, again, it's Scheifele, sorry, takes me a while. Scheifele monument, um, she held a light on one side. And if you get the picture, the picture has the galaxies floating by and it's a beautiful photo. Is Ed buried there? Yes. My my friend Mike Mihalovic took the picture. We, we He's waited a young till, guy, Mike. Yeah, we waited till 2 in the morning for the galaxy to be uh-huh. in the right position over the monument. And uh, Ed Shefflin's monument, the preservation of that, was my first preservation project I ever did. Hmm. I think we mentioned that before. We did. Between 2002 and 2004. And the only way to get him annexed to state parks was to prove that he was buried there. And he, he really is buried there. So they... 
they when you look at it, there's the cement base, mm -hmm. and then the rocks are stacked up. I thought he was on the inside of the rocks, but no. you said he's actually buried in a vault underneath the cement. Right, he's in a granite vault underneath the monument. That is crazy. Now there's, let me ask you, I don't know, but I've read. He requested to be buried in miner's clothes. He requested to be in miner's clothes. With mining gear. Yes, three miles from the town that he located near his campsite the day before he discovered the Tombstone Mine. Was it Watervale then? No, he's he's about exactly where he had his campsite. Okay. At the granite. He specifically mentioned the granite outcropping, and that's the granite And they're all over. They're right there. Yeah. Okay. And so he's buried with miner's clothes, mining gear. Mm-hmm. He's where the granite, granite outcroppings are at, mm -hmm. on very close to the original spot where they're, because they could probably have to do part two, because the original tombstone was not where it is now, right? It's where he's buried. And then they... No. No? No. Because I read, and I'm glad, so I'm looking at, I'm looking at, just so you guys know, when I do this, <laughs> I'm looking at Nancy to tell me whether, oh, Mike, you're kind of close, or Mike, you're full of crap. Right now I'm getting the, <laughs> Mike, you're full of crap. But um, the tombstone that where it's now on Goose Flats, was that the original spot where Tombstone was? That's, well, that's Tombstone, the town site. That was 1878. But, but he started the no, area. No, he found the Tombstone Mining District. He found, the, there's three mines called the Tombstone. And the very first one he found is not too far from where the Border Patrol checkpoint is now, if you've ever been to yeah. Tombstone. Not too far from where his monument is. Really? So yeah. when people go into town, does it is that in the book about how he found that and where he's buried? I and all believe that? so. Yes. Because, yeah, because there's a chapter on Ed in the book. Because some people will go back and say, "Well, the good enough mine in the mining district." It <laughs> this must is be how where thorough he... the research is on Ed. Jim told me we're going on a road trip and we're going to Oregon, and I said, "Jim, you need to go by Cannonville and look at where Ed originally died." So the cabin where he died and where he was buried. He, you know, I said, go mm -hmm. by there, find some pictures, find some information. Mm -hmm. Then he was dug up. He was exhumed, sent to California for identification for his wife and brother, and then sent to Tombstone. So you guys got to get this book. Make sure that you get a hold of it. It's called Tombstone, A Quick History by Nancy Sosa and Jim Nelson. Uh, you can get a hold of her at historyraiders at live.com or her Facebook page at History Raiders, and you can get all about the book there. We're probably going to do a part two because I feel like there's a part two involved here somewhere. And um, again, I appreciate you guys. If you need to get a hold of me, you can do so through HVACReeferGuy at gmail.com. Uh, if you're on uh, uh, iTunes, please subscribe. Give me a, a rating. Do a review. It helps me out. Get the podcast out. And I really want to thank you. And I want to thank Nancy Sosa, who we're going to do part two. 100% guarantee it. Work okay. safe. Be safe. Be good humans. We'll see you next time.